This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. What you need to know right now. As coronavirus infections surge, at least 11 states go into lockdown. Spring break shutdown. The mayor of Miami talks about what he's doing to keep his city safe as he fights the coronavirus himself. Immune boosting foods, fueling up right now so you can stay strong, just what the doctor ordered. Staying sane with your partner, the new do's and don'ts about getting along, staying the course in your relationship through the pandemic. It is a new week, and this is our new show, What You Need to Know in This Unprecedented Coronavirus Pandemic, the emergency touching every aspect of so many of our lives. And we are committed to bringing you essential information that can help you and your families get through this time safely and sanely. So we're very happy you're with us today. We want to get right to the big developments. The United States now has the third highest total of COVID-19 cases in the world, just behind China and Italy. At least 11 states have stay-at-home orders in place in major cities with more than 54 million kids now home from school. There is some good news. More than 98,000 people have recovered worldwide. And with me now is our ABC chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. So, Jen, what is the latest? Where are we now? Well, Amy, there was a lot that happened over the weekend, especially around testing, because if we look back a couple of weeks, the big focus was on Are there enough tests for everyone? That was the messaging that we kept hearing. Now that the tests have been rolled out, we see a major bottleneck, especially at hotspots, areas like New York, New York City, the West Coast, for people who are having symptoms and thinking that they want to get a test. Now, there's two really important concepts here. There is absolutely the need for the swab testing, for what we call point-of-care testing, which would be a test that could come back within 15 minutes or an hour, just like a pregnancy test or an HIV test, and then a push for something we called serology testing, which is a blood test to show us if we've been exposed to this virus in the past. All of that is really, really important to be able to paint the landscape of our understanding of just how common this coronavirus is in the United States. However, the flip side is that if everyone who has even the most mild symptom tries to go get a test, it is absolutely sucking down the valuable resources of PPEs, masks, gowns, etc., as well as jeopardizing healthcare workers. Those are our most vulnerable and important resources right now. Yeah. So they're they're kind of in competition with each other. Because I wanted to ask you about that, Jenny. Where are we on that personal protective equipment that we know so many healthcare providers need? What are we dealing with in terms of shortages? Well, I can only tell you um, what I've heard from my friends and colleagues who are doctors and nurses here in New York City. They are in critical condition. They are, in some cases, using rain ponchos, garbage bags for gowns. Um, Obviously, their masks are in critically low supply. Uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital telling its employees they get one mask and that's it. Um, So we need to see those kind of flood the the healthcare system in these hotspots immediately. But that's why we need to strike this delicate balance between 
testing a lot of people to know how common things are and not testing the very, very mild people right now because we just don't have those resources. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Dr. Jen Ashton will be checking back in with you. Thank you so much. In the meantime, we turn now to ABC's Rachel Scott, who is in Washington, D.C. She has the latest headlines for us. Hi, Amy. Let's get to some of the developments that we are following here with the number of those COVID-19 cases soaring here in the U.S., the shockwaves to the economy, the stock market losing $8 trillion in value in the last month. Analysts estimate more than 2 million people filed for unemployment last week, the highest number ever, spiked by an unprecedented surge in layoffs. And Japan is expected to now quarantine all visitors from the U.S. This as pressure mounts over whether to go forward with the Tokyo Summer Olympics. The International Olympic Committee now considering a postponement to 2021. A final decision is expected within weeks. And now back here at home, con- some concern growing over the Washington, D.C. cherry blossoms that are a health hazard. The mayor cracking down on overcrowding at the popular destination. Too many people there this weekend putting lives at risk for catching COVID-19. The mayor now imposing a restricted access zone decree on the tidal basin with the help of the National Guard until further notice. Let's turn now to our Dr. Jen Ashton with a few of the very important coronavirus questions you all are asking us. And so, Dr. Jen, I'll begin with the first question. It reads, I was tested and showed signs of laryngitis, sinus infection and an ear infection. I was given a couple of shots and very strong antibiotics and steroids for 10 days. Those passed, but I continue to have a cough. Do I need to be retested? So that's a difficult question. Right now, according to Dr. Fauci, mild symptoms really should not necessarily rush out to be tested. But remember, in medicine, you can have more than one thing at a time. So yes, it's possible to have both. But my favorite saying, common things occur commonly. So most likely it's just residual from the previous infection. All right. Our next question reads, I'm five months pregnant and I have asthma. I work in the medical field and I'm the first contact when patients walk in the door. What precautions should I be taking? That's a wow, Amy. That's three really high risk issues. We know that being pregnant is an immune compromised or immune suppressed condition. Um, Number one, we know that people with asthma or chronic lung conditions place them at a higher risk and then healthcare workers. So this is an example of someone who needs to absolutely take the most aggressive precautions possible. And for anyone who's pregnant, definitely be in touch with your midwife or your obstetrician and communicate these concerns and see if there's uh, you know, other steps that you could take. This next question is pretty interesting. With the new evidence that younger adults are getting coronavirus, how at risk are smokers and vapors? That's an amazing question, and I've actually gotten that a lot on my social media. Obviously, we don't know because we have no data on this subgroup. However, we know that smoking, whether it's combustible cigarettes or e-cigs, definitely does damage to the lungs, and that could place someone at higher risk for severe complications of COVID-19. So um, it makes sense, but we don't have firm data on it. All right. Another reason to try and stop both, of course. Uh, Our next question, is it a good idea for when people are at home, they use soap and water for hand washing rather than wipes and sanitizers? It's always a better idea to use soap and water if you have it, Amy, because it's not only damaging to viral particles or bacteria, but the disruption of mechanically rubbing your hands together vigorously is also really important. So if a sink 
is in your vicinity, that should be number one. The hand sanitizers and wipes are really just for when there's no sink right. available. This next question is one that has been plaguing my household. We happen to have the same people who we quarantined with starting last Thursday, and no one, we say you can't leave the bubble. But this next question, should we allow anyone outside our immediate family in our home? We have a 16-year-old who wants to have one friend over, but we have said no. Dr. Jen, is that the right answer? That is the right answer, Amy. And listen, this kind of social distancing really is disruptive. It can be unpleasant. Teenagers and kids are not used to not having their social lives in order. But remember, your bubble is there for a reason. It's to protect your people and the people outside. So you can't have people coming in and out. It's not just, yeah. oh, one person. Um, that could really um, make all the difference. Yeah, my teenagers have tried some very compelling reasoning with me, like, my friend's dad, and they've been tested, is going to come drive and take, and, uh, you know, just giving me all the reasons why it's okay, but the answer should still be no. Same. My kids are trying it, too. <laughs> We've got to be the adults in the house. All right. Here's the next question. Right. Um, Dr. Jen, with Entire Families Home, how can we calm the fears and anxieties of our loved ones? Listen, the psychological, social, emotional part of this is massive. I have heard from so many people on social media that they feel overly stressed, angered, anxious, scared, you name it. It's a full range of emotions. I always say we have to connect from the neck up as well as the rest of the body because the body follows the mind and spirit. So remember, we can only address what's going on right now with effort, with preparation, with a sense of resilience and um, get through it together and express your feelings. If you need to talk to a mental health professional now more than ever, there are apps, there are online you know, reach out and get that support and help. Dr. Jen, as always, yep. thank you so much. And if you have questions for Dr. Ashton, send them on Instagram to at Dr. J. Ashton. This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. Concert goers were not ready to face the music after Miami's Ultra Music Festival, originally scheduled for this past weekend, was canceled due to concerns related to coronavirus. Just one of many events that will be put on hold as the city navigates this national crisis. And here to update us on how Miami is handling the response is Mayor Francis Suarez. And Mayor, I want to begin, though, with the fact that you have also contracted coronavirus, COVID-19. And I want you were one of the first uh, publicly elected officials that we know of to contract it. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thankfully. I'm closing in on my second week uh, diagnosed uh, positive with coronavirus 19. And so thankfully, it seems like I'm in the 80 percent category that has experienced mild symptoms. That's good. And I understand you're going to be retested soon to see if you can get back to work outside of your uh, confinement. That's right. Uh, following the, the most conservative CDC protocol, I'm going to be retested today and hopefully it'll be negative and have to be retested again tomorrow. All right. Well, we were certainly uh, wishing you the best on that. We want to talk about your city. Miami actually canceled the Ultra Music Festival, as we mentioned, and some of the city's bigger events early on in the first week of March. And you actually took some heat for doing so. What factored into that decision? And I'm assuming you're very happy you made that decision now. 
imagine we would have had a festival with 150,000 people coming from 105 different countries. The Cayocho Festival was 250,000 people congregating in a short period of time. I spoke to a variety of mayors throughout the country, and I just felt that it was the most prudent thing to do. And obviously now um, it's, it's clear and evident that it was the right decision. What is a little frustrating is that spring breakers uh, haven't all heeded that warning. And so we're asking people in Miami to stay home, and we're asking spring breakers to go home. Yeah, we understand that you're working closely with Miami-Dade County officials to protect your city from the virus. And that does include also shutting down boat ramps and marinas. Did some of these decisions come too late into spring break? If it were if it were me, I would have made the decisions earlier. Obviously, as you saw with Ultra um, and with Cayocho, I made those decisions weeks ago to try to prevent some of this from happening. Some of our officials locally said that we're open for business. Um, and I think that created a little bit of the, of the swell of people that we saw crowding our beaches. And so what is your message to people in the Miami area? My message is to them is, is a one that I broadcast a couple of days ago is they need to stay home. We need to be disciplined throughout this crisis because the biggest issue is our first responders, our nurses and our doctors and our hospitals that can and will get overwhelmed as they have in other parts of the country and other parts of the nation. We need to come together as a community, do the right thing, stay home. And if you're here on spring break, go home. All right. Important advice. Indeed, Mayor Francis Suarez, we are wishing you a speedy recovery. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Many American students were studying abroad for the spring semester and had their time cut short due to the coronavirus. Olivia McLaughlin is a 20-year-old UC Berkeley student who flew home to San Diego from Madrid after learning that the U.S. would be restricting travel due to COVID-19. Olivia was not screened at the airport upon reentry, but shortly after learning her friend had been that she had been in close contact with tested positive, Olivia then also tested positive. And here to tell us about her experience, Olivia joins us now. First of all, how are you feeling today? I feel okay. I'm definitely a little tired, but I'm not really experiencing any symptoms. I definitely feel good. Uh, what were you, your symptoms beforehand? Were you, have you gotten much better from where you were before? Absolutely, yes. Um, coming back from Madrid and into the U.S., I barely had any. The only thing that really qualified me for testing was I was in close contact with someone that tested positive. Um, but for the most part, these symptoms are very minor. I would compare the sickness to a regular cold. It's not something I would ever call out of work from. Um, had I not been tested positive, I would have just gone on living my, my normal life. Wow. So take us through what it was like leaving Madrid yeah. and trying to get back to the United States. Uh, this process was nothing but hectic. I went to bed around 1 a.m. in Madrid the evening of Trump's travel ban, and I live in an apartment with all study abroad kids, and we were woken up at 2.30 in the morning to screaming outside. There was running up and down the stairs. Um, it was just very chaotic. There was a lot of yelling, and we all checked our phones, my roommates and myself, and we saw that Trump had essentially issued a travel ban saying that we needed to be back in the U.S. Um, within 30 hours. We immediately booked flights. We saw the flight prices um, surge exponentially. It was very, very scary, um, a very terrifying time, quite frankly. And then once we got back into the U.S., um, things were still hectic. There was really long lines at customs. Um, a lot of study abroad kids very upset, very sad, um, just bummed of the whole experience. Yeah, and Olivia, it's pretty striking because you said you were not screened at the airport and you weren't really showing or feeling any symptoms at that point. And yet now you know you were positive for COVID-19. I mean, do you have any idea how many people you were with standing next to throughout all of that? 
Absolutely. That is that was just kind of one of the most scary things about it is that I didn't get asked my temperature or like no one took our temperature. We didn't get asked if we were feeling symptoms. Um, it was still early in the process, so I wasn't super surprised. But that aspect was scary is that there was so many study abroad kids on my flight, all of whom could have coronavirus now. Right. And we know and we should point out you are self-quarantining in your room so that you don't get anyone else in your family sick. So tell me what that's been like. Um, The biggest thing is that I've just had a really positive attitude. You really can't change these circumstances. I'm very thankful for the time I did have abroad in Europe. Um, And now I'm just kind of hanging out here in my room. I've been making TikTok dances with some of my friends. We'll send them back and forth to each other. They made this page for all these like Berkeley students to send in their dances. So that's been fun. I'm not really a TV person, so that's been hard, but I've been watching the news a lot more. The hardest thing for me actually having the virus is that this quarantine time has been an opportunity for people to really grow close with their family. On social media, I'll see my friends sending um, videos of them going on walks on the beach with their family or playing board games, and I have to be essentially isolated in my room. Um, So that's been really, really hard. Yeah, no, that's incredibly tough. So what is your message to other people, especially young people like yourself? Yeah, this is huge. Um, I would say once I tested positive, my first priority was immediately to text my group chat with my 10 Madrid friends and tell them, um, although some of them did get tested, they don't really need a test to know that they probably are also positive. I think there's a lot of talk out there right now about there being a lack of tests, but young people need to know that more often than not, they don't need a test. If they've been in contact with someone who has it, they should just assume they have it and stay inside. Um, I a lot of times think I'm invincible, and even though I only have a few symptoms, I really don't want to risk infecting other people, um, elderly people, babies, etc. So I would say assume you have it, assume your friend has it, um, and stay inside until we're told otherwise. You are doing the right thing. We wish you uh, the very best. Hope you you get out of quarantine soon there. Olivia McLaughlin, (laughs) thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. And with me now is our ABC chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. So this new information out saying that one of the symptoms we hadn't heard before of COVID-19 is that you lose your taste of uh, your taste and your sense of smell as well. Is that correct? Yeah, so there are some anecdotal reports, Amy, coming out of the UK and Britain that loss of smell or taste may be an early sign um, or symptom of COVID-19. Now, it needs much more study, of course, and it doesn't mean that if you feel that you should rush out and get a test. But the awareness should be there as we learn more and more about this virus, especially if people are noticing this in the absence of, let's say, seasonal allergies like hay fever or a sinus infection. You know, in other words, if they have nothing else going on, um, it's something to keep an eye on. And it would reinforce that importance of keeping your distance from people, even those um, that you may live with. So that's something that scientists and researchers are going to be paying uh, close attention to. And I Ironically, I myself have noticed that in the last couple Mm. of weeks. So I'm paying attention, too. Yeah, no, it's good to know to to self-quarantine if you believe you might obviously uh, be carrying the COVID-19, even if that's just your only symptom. Something else that developed at the end of last week, we heard these these very encouraging reports that perhaps these anti-malaria drugs might stave off some of the more serious side effects or at least preventing death, at least in some cases. But now there's another problem because there's been a huge run on these drugs, correct? 
Yeah, so good news, bad news. The good news is they're being studied in very quick and aggressive clinical trials. They have shown some promise in France. But the bad news is, is that people with rheumatoid arthritis who take mm. Plaquenil now can't find it. So wow. we have to use caution. We just don't know yet. All right, thanks, Dr. Jen. We'll be right back. This ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. And with the number of coronavirus cases in the U.S. increasing day by day, so does a possible threat to the nation's blood supply. To help us understand the potential blood shortages and how we can help is Gail McGovern, CEO and president of the American Red Cross. She joins us now from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being with us, Gail. We know that the coronavirus has forced thousands of blood drives to cancel here in the United States. So talk about what the overall impact has then been on blood donations. We do a lot of blood drives at businesses, at college campuses, churches. And as you know, these institutions are shutting down. And so we are facing a shortage. About 5,000 blood drives have been canceled. And that equates to about 170,000 units of blood. And we are scrambling to get blood drives back on our books. We're asking people if they're healthy to come donate blood. We're urging them to come out because we don't want to see a blood shortage on top of the coronavirus crisis. So we don't want another health crisis on top of this one. Yes, certainly. I want to hear from you what you're hearing from doctors and from hospitals across this country regarding their blood supply and talk about how the non-coronavirus patients are now being impacted by the shortage. We need them for chemotherapy patients, for trauma patients, for a person who had open heart surgery and the like. And each of these kinds of surgeries require blood. And we've told the hospitals, please postpone all elective surgery, and they're doing that. So we're providing about 75% of their orders. And with the elective surgery off the table, um, we're still facing a shortage. And I can't even imagine what the hospitals will go through if a doctor has to make a decision which critical patient is going to get the next unit of blood. We've all been talking a lot about social distancing, physical distancing, but you say that should not affect people who can and would like to donate blood. Can you talk about why you wouldn't be affected? Because people are afraid to go out. They're afraid to stand in any kind of a line. So talk about what precautions have been put in place. First of all, every person that presents to donate, we're taking their temperature. We're having the staff take their own temperature every day. After each donation, we're wiping down the bed. We have the donors use hand sanitizer before, during, and after the donation. We're keeping the beds as far apart as possible. We're trying to keep people in line as far apart from each other as possible. We're spacing out the donation so we don't get a lot of people coming in at once. We're doing everything we possibly can to make it a safe environment. All right. Yeah. An important note to anyone who wants to help. This is how you can help. Your local hospital needs your blood and they are making it safe for you to do so. Gail McGovern, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Can I add one more thing? Um, Love them to go to our website and make an appointment. And if they want to sponsor a blood drive, they can do that on our website as well. We have a wonderful app they can download and make appointments through that, or they can call our 800 number, which is 
Red Cross. All right. So many ways to help. Gail, thanks again. We are wishing you the very best. That's country star Brad Paisley streaming on social media. He chokes up when someone requested his favorite gospel song. Paisley says In the Garden has new meaning for him now. He is also having other country names FaceTime in to sing with him and to sing for us. And in trying times like these, people often rely on their faith as a source of encouragement. But as the number of COVID cases rise, so do the limitations placed on religious services and congregations. So when your faith gets tested, how do you move forward? Joining us now to weigh in on this conversation are three leaders of different faiths in our country. Archbishop Gregory Amon, Rabbi Rachel Ain, and Imam Dawood Walid. Thank you all for being with us today. Imam, I want to start with you as we all try to navigate these uncharted waters. What do you recommend people do to keep their faith during times like these? Well, besides the advice that's been given by the National Muslim Task Force on COVID-19, as far as staying away from large gatherings right now, we are encouraging congregation and community through uh, picking up the phone and calling fellow congregants, uh, calling family members, as well as tuning in to Uh, religious talks and uh, sermons that are being given online right now. Uh, For instance, I've moved all of my uh, sermons on uh, online right now, and uh, I will be encouraging our people to uh, stay patient and stay uh, precautious, but to also have uh, hope in times like this that if uh, we stay uh, patient and put our trust in God, that we can see our way through not just this Uh, national crisis we're going through right now, but really uh, this pandemic that has affected the entire world. That's right. We can all stay connected still. Rabbi Ain, I want to ask you about that because obviously your role has changed so much in light of the coronavirus. How are you reaching your congregants? We're doing it in a variety of ways. We are creating person-to-person connections, making sure that members of our synagogue of all ages are reached out to. We have twice daily services that we're doing on Zoom that you don't need a password to log into. Our morning services and our afternoon and evening combination services are all done and we've been having um, huge numbers of people, not just from our community, but from people who live throughout the United States and Canada. I've been teaching classes online. We are offering preschool moments of engagement. Our teachers are working very hard with our students and families, and we are having our Hebrew school take place online as well. Wow, it sounds like there's even been an expansion of sorts given these uh, times that we're in. Archbishop Amen, I want to turn to you now. We know the president has placed restrictions on mass gatherings, so talk about how you're continuing to serve your congregation and how you're encouraging people to keep observing when their place of worship may be closed. Thank you very much. It's certainly a challenging time. It's a time of uncertainty and fear, and people feel that, and it's an opportunity for them to realize that God does not abandon us in these times, but he walks with us and carries us. I'm very pleased to say that we have over 100 parishes in this archdiocese, and most of them are doing something on Facebook, live stream. Uh, It's amazing to me how many of our pastors and uh, clergy, religious, and and lay leaders have reached out to people in a very strong way. The guideline in the state of Louisiana right now is that we cannot have a service with more than 50 people. And so we are very much 
consistent with what's being asked of us. And so we are having some services, but they're very lightly attended so that we can stay within that restriction. It's a time where people come together both in with one another, a few, less than 50, but it's also a time that we're united in faith as a community. I know faith has never been more important than right now. Archbishop Amon, Rabbi Ain, and Imam Walid, thanks so much for being with us. So many of the people who rely on you appreciate your efforts as well to keep everyone's faith strong. This ABC News special, COVID-19, What You Need to Know, continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, What You Need to Know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. We are all trying to stay as healthy as possible, especially right now. And so many of us are eating at home. So what are the best foods to help boost the immune system? Physician and author of Eat to Beat Disease, my good friend, Dr. William Lee, joins us now. Dr. Lee, thanks for being with us. And so, first of all, just explain to us, why is what we eat so important for our immune system? Well, now is the more important time than ever before to think about our health and the choices that we make at home while we're in our home for what we put into our bodies can make a huge difference in terms of our how our body's health defense systems can help us resist disease, including infection. And here's the thing, Amy, the rules haven't changed even with COVID-19. Eat whole foods, um, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, cut down or cut out red meat and avoid ultra processed foods. These are the best ways to help boost our body's hardwired health defense systems, especially our immunity. I think people think, hey, this is awful. I feel awful. I'm just going to make myself feel better by eating all the things I shouldn't be eating. So I love these five foods you are going to list for us that we should all be eating to boost our immune system. So let's go through the list. First off, and we just had these the other day, mushrooms. I love mushrooms, and mushrooms have in their caps and stems natural chemicals that activate our immune system. So don't just throw away the stems. Cook everything together, and that's great for you. That's great. That's a great tip. I did throw away the stems. I won't do that next time. All right. Next up is broccoli. Right. Um, Broccoli, the whole plant, whether you're talking about the treetops or the stems, all contain natural chemicals called sulforaphanes, and the sprouts, too. What's amazing is that researchers have found that these natural chemicals found in broccoli help our body ward off virus infections, which is exactly what we're looking for today. You can actually, um, again, keep the stems. You can actually put the sprouts in a shake. uh, Delicious. That's great. All right. And you also recommend tomatoes. Tell us why. Right. Tomatoes are a great source of vitamin C. Vitamin C is used by our immune cells to clear virus, whether it's a raw tomato, a canned tomato, a cooked tomato, a tomato paste or sun-dried, all good ways to actually um, get vitamin C. Yeah, we've been having a lot of caprese in my house. It's very easy to make. All right. Third is tree nuts. Right. Well, we know that nuts are good for our health, and they actually add dietary fiber that feeds our gut, our healthy gut bacteria, which is connected to our immune system. Cashews, walnuts, almonds, pecans, all great snacks, and, and, and they store well, too. Yeah, you can put them in the freezer. They can last for a really long time. I know that. That's great. All right. And this is one that I actually don't have in the house, so tell me why we need to have pomegranate juice. Well, I drink pomegranate juice every single morning now because I know that research has found that the there's natural substances in pomegranate juice that help our gut grow healthy bacteria that improve our immunity. It's kind of like a guardian of our immune system. And, and all you need to do is drink a glass of pomegranate mm. juice a day. What about those pomegranate seeds? 
Well, seeds are great, um, but you need a lot of seeds in order to be able to get that juice. So I, <laughs> okay. you know, I, I just, uh, I, I like to actually just drink the juice. It makes it easier for me. All right, Dr. William Lee, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. As restaurants, bars, and other businesses continue to close, it leaves many thinking how they will survive without that next paycheck. Clay Young of Arkansas, who owns apartments and small business storefronts, announced on Facebook that he won't expect his tenants to pay April's rent. He hopes they use that money to pay their own employees and to help take care of their families. So joining us is president of Young Investment Company, Clay Young. First of all, thank you for what you've done on behalf of all of the people who you've served by doing this. Uh, what you did for your tenants is, is the perfect example of how we hope many of us can be selfless at a time like this. Why was this important for you to do? I don't know. I think that it, there wasn't really a question on on what to do. Uh, it just seemed like, uh, I mean, when, when when times are tough and people are down, you don't kick them. You know, I mean, uh, this is when everyday people help everyday people. And so it, it just seemed like it was the uh, it was the only solution to the problem. Well, it's it was a it was a beautiful one indeed, and it's important to point out your properties are a side business. You're a full time financial advisor, so for others out there thinking about doing what you did, tell us financially how you made this work for you because you obviously have bills to pay as well. So how can people replicate what you've done? You know, I think that what what we've seen here is an outreach in the community. The community banks are really doing an amazing job of reaching out to landlords and asking us how they can help us. And because they recognize that um, we, we have to all work together. And so it, it's really been a team effort. Well, I know that um, it had to be a pretty amazing thing when you reached out and told your tenants that you were doing this for them. Can you give us some samplings of, of what their reactions were to you? You know, it's been overwhelming. I mean, I did not expect that to get the reaction that I've had. I guess it just seemed like it was what anyone, what I would hope anyone would do for me. Um, there's just been gratitude and, they, and they've done what, what, what we've asked. I mean, they've paid their employees and we've heard from the employees thanking us. And so um, it's worked. We want to thank you, Clay Young, for doing your part. And we certainly wish you and your family the best of health. And uh, we hope to hear exactly how it goes from here on out. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stay strong. When we come back, the young helping hand, the fifth grader with the right idea, getting hand sanitizer to those who need it. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. And finally here today, you can never get enough good news during times like this people helping other people. And sometimes it's the youngest among us that can set the best examples, like 11-year-old Jaden Perez looking out for his friends and his community by coming through with much-needed donations of hand sanitizer to help keep everyone safe. So we are very delighted to have Jaden with us now to talk about his very generous good deeds. Jaden, thanks for being here. And I just love how you've been helping everyone out in your community. Tell me where you got the idea to donate hand sanitizer. Well, I got the idea to donate hand sanitizers because a lot of my friends didn't have hand sanitizer, and I noticed a lot of my friends in, my, in the community also didn't have hand sanitizer. So I wanted to donate hand sanitizer to my friends, my school, my local school districts, and my community. And as you point out, that hand sanitizer is really tough to come by these days, but you were ahead of the game. So how have people reacted when you show up with it and give it to them? They were really shocked of how much hand sanitizer I actually had. I ordered about 1,500 hand sanitizers, 
so I had a lot of hand sanitizers, and they were sold out everywhere. So people were very shocked about the amount I had. So they were just shocked. Well, I'm sure shocked and so grateful and so thankful that you were able to give them out. And here's one of my favorite parts about this. Each bottle has a personal message on it from you. What does it say? From the bottom of my heart. And why was it important to include that message? Well, it was important to include my that message is because it, that's my logo. That's my nonprofit organization. It, my nonprofit organization is called From the Bottom of My Heart. I have my own shirt that says From the Bottom of My Heart. So it's just something that I say after every video. When you do something, you do it from the bottom of your heart. So I just wanted to put that on all the hand sanitizers. Ah, well, that warms all of our hearts. So, Jaden, we are so proud of you. Thank you for doing your part to help so many. And thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to turn now to our Dr. Jen Ashton for some final thoughts today. Jen? Amy, I'm just still smiling from that incredible little boy and his story. But um, today, really going to be focus on, uh, focusing on what we learn about U.S. cases, um, how they present clinically, who's most at risk, and what percentage are serious. And then kind of big picture, Amy, I'm really looking at this as an opportunity to demonstrate resilience, not just in our healthcare system, but all over the country. And I'm thinking of three A's, awareness, ability to analyze new information as we get it, and that's both scientifically and in our communities, and then our ability to adapt and pivot quickly. And I think we're seeing, just like in that incredible little boy, and in our healthcare system, um, some real bright spots and promise there. So yes, we haven't hit the worst of it, but I think we're gonna see some incredible things. Dr. Jen Ashton, we always appreciate your wisdom and your words. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Amy. That's our program for today. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening. ABC News. Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.